0: Well, good morning and welcome to Christmas at New Hope. And uh, we can say that even though it's not Christmas Day because Christmas starts, well, like Jessica said, for some people it starts in September, but it at least starts the beginning of December or the day after Thanksgiving. So uh, it is a great time of year. Uh, it's so fun, Christmas season, the spirit of Christmas, just so much going on and, and it's just, it's wonderful out in society, everywhere you go, it just seems like, you know, unless you're at the mall, it seems like everybody's in a better mood. And uh, But in church, you know, it's, it's definitely the most fun we have all year is the month of December. It's, it's the most work we do, too. We work the hardest in the month of December, but it is so, so worth it. And uh, I mean, we get to decorate the church, which by the way, the church looks great. The decorating crew, they did a wonderful job, right? Let's give them a hand. I was over in the kids' department this morning, and uh, they've been working all week decorating in there, too. It looks a lot of fun. Makes me almost want to be a kid again, but not really. But um, there's so much that is just great about this month. But the, the beauty of it is that it all centers around the birth of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, we can have fun. You know, if you're new here, what we were doing today, some of what we were doing, this isn't a typical Sunday. But in the month of December, we just like to have a little extra fun because it's, it's December and it's Christmas time. So um, we, we think celebrating our Lord and Savior should be fun. And uh, this should be the most fun place in town. This is a lot more fun to be here than it would have been to been in Atlanta yesterday watching that football team play, you know. Uh, sorry to all you guys, but I dealt with it a week ago, you're dealing with it this week. So, But it is Christmas and we're excited, and uh, you know, the emphasis at Christmas time is typically on what we've been saying, is that Jesus is the Savior that was born, you know, born in Bethlehem, born in a manger, and he was the Savior that is coming to the world. He's Emmanuel, which literally means God with us, you know, and Tons of focus on that, and there should be, and that's wonderful. But you know, he also, he didn't just come to be our savior, he also came to be our king. And he is the king of kings, and the Lord of lords, as the Bible tells us. And so, this month, over the next few weeks, as we move into Christmas, we're going to be talking about King Jesus, and what that means for you and me, that his birth meant more than him being the savior, it was about him being a king as well. And uh, my text for today, in fact, I'm going to have you stand with me, if you would, as I read my text out of John 18, Uh, this is where I'm gonna take you all the way to the end of Jesus's earthly life. You know, he's born in a manger and he lived this life and he gets arrested and he's standing before Pontius Pilate who was the governor of Judea at the time. He was the Roman governor that the Jews had handed Jesus over to him because he had the authority to either release him or crucify him. And uh, we see that Pontius Pilate had this interaction with Jesus. He went back and forth. And it's documented here in John 18. I'm gonna read a few verses here. It says, Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Powerful words from Jesus. He was born, came into this world to be our king. The title of my message today is Waiting for a King. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you that we can come together like this and worship corporately And just to hear your word. And Lord, I pray that your word would pierce our hearts today. And God, that my words would be your words. That I would speak nothing on my own, but that you would speak to us through this time that we have together. And Lord, would you seal the work that you're doing in our hearts today by your Holy Spirit, that it would produce fruit in our lives for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank the Lord. Man, Kel and Jess were right. You're a good-looking crowd today. You guys look great. There's a lot of red. That's good. I even wore red today. It's good. Christmas, you can get away with that all the time, right? So we're talking about Jesus being the king, which means Jesus had to have a kingdom. You can't be a king if you don't have a kingdom. And, you know, we don't have a lot of context for kingdoms living in the United States in 2021 because this is not a monarchy that we live in. In fact, the, the most familiar monarchy that we would be able to look at today is probably England, right? They have Queen Elizabeth, and they, they have princes and princesses, and they have dukes and duchesses and all these things, but we don't really have a great understanding of how that works here in the States because we're not under that same system, and frankly, even the system they have in England isn't the, way, the same as it was back in Jesus' day when there was kingdoms and kingships in the world. And uh, just to give you a little, bit of a, lay a little bit of a baseline here, you know, when a kingdom when someone was a king, that person had total dominion. They were, it was totalitarian, it was not a democracy, they weren't concerned about what people thought, they ruled with an iron fist many times, and what they said went, and if you didn't agree with it, you didn't, it didn't line up with what you wanted to do, you either fell in line, or you ended up in prison, or dead, or excommunicated out of the country. That's how kingdoms work. But Jesus' kingdom is different. He's a king, but his kingdom does not look like the kingdoms of the world. In fact, in my text verse it says, my kingdom is not of this world, and so, God, Jesus has a kingdom, but his kingdom is over all of creation. Everything he created, he, that's his kingdom, right? It's not confined to just this world. It was over all creation. And if you know how the, how the system was set up, was that God had created man to actually rule over his kingdom here on the earth. In fact, all the way back in Genesis 1, God says to Adam, I want you to rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over everything that lives on the earth. I want man to rule. But you know the story you know that man messed up quickly <laughs> in about two verses it feels like man decided he messed up and he brought sin into the world and that system was broken but praise god he immediately set the wheels in motion to to fix the system and actually make it better by bringing the kingdom of god to earth through his son right in fact just a couple chapters later in genesis three all the way back to the beginning of the book Genesis 3, we see the first sign that God is going to send the Messiah to defeat sin in the world. In fact, I'm going to read that verse just real quick. It's in Genesis 3.15. A lot of people miss this, but this is where God was casting judgment on the serpent for deceiving Adam and Eve. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and and he will strike his heel. So many, many, most theologians believe that that was the first reference of Jesus coming, that Jesus was going to crush the work of the enemy, although the enemy was going to strike his heel, and he was going to be crucified and killed. And so the whole Old Testament is set up right here, where they were literally waiting for this king to come into the world. And the king would come to establish his kingdom on earth. Now, as Christians most of us spend most of our energy, our mental energy, our, our meditation about who Jesus is in our life, we spend it thinking about him being our savior, right? Because that is the first, primary, most basic need that we have as humans is we need a savior. We need someone that will save us from our sins that, so our sins will not be counted against us. So we need that savior. We can't, we can't serve him as our king if he's not our savior. So most of our energy is often put on him being our savior, but we cannot neglect the fact that he is also our king, that he wants to be our king. He wants us to be part of his kingdom in our life. In fact, when we say Lord, because a lot of people will use the term, you know, savior and Lord in our life, or is he Lord and savior for you? Lord is really about him being a king. It's about us being subjects of his. In fact, the Bible tells us that when we are followers of Jesus, that we are slaves to Christ. So if we are slaves to Christ, that means we're subjects in his kingdom. And that's what his desire is for us, that we would be under his authority, that we would be submitted under his leadership, his kingship in our life, and not to just know him as our savior, but as our king. And this takes our relationship to another level with him. If he's just your savior and not your king, you're, 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 at a, uh, you're kind of at an entry level. He's meant to be our king too, and when he's our king, it takes it to another level because it's not a democracy. There's no king, there's no kingdom in the world that's a democracy. Kingdoms are totalitarian. The person in charge is in charge in all through all and overall. And so when we are part of God's kingdom, it's no different. It's about him. It's not about us anymore. Our life becomes being about him. We don't get to decide what's right and wrong anymore. We don't get to decide what our moral standard is going to be in our life. We have a playbook that helps decide it for us because we are under the submission, under the authority of Jesus, and we're part of his kingdom. We don't get to decide what we're gonna do with our life anymore if we're under the kingdom of God. We don't get to decide anything about our life anymore. It's all submitted under him and his leadership and his authority in our life. And it's actually a beautiful thing. It can sound scary, but I can tell you, I don't wanna be, if I I gotta be under somebody's authority, I would wanna be under his more than anybody else's. Because he's the one that we can actually trust. In fact, the apostle Paul tells us basically that we don't even get to decide what's best for us. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price therefore, honor God with your body. You were bought at a price to be put under the kingdom of God. And by doing that, you are subject of his, your body's not even your own anymore. Everything we do, every choice we make, every thought we think needs to come under submission of the authority of Jesus Christ in our life. But that gets all up in our business, and it messes with our selfish nature, right? It messes with that human nature that we have Because every one of us is born selfish, right? We say it all the time, but if you want to know whether or not selfishness is learned or inherited, just have a child. It does not take long at all for you to see that the child is born selfish. We're all born to take care of ourselves, to look at us first, to meet our needs first. So talking about submitting underneath someone else's authority gets all up in our business because we are generally selfish and wanting to have our own needs. In fact, we want to build our own kingdom, if we're honest about it. However small it may be, we want to build our kingdom. We want to put all of our energy into making sure our kingdom is what it needs to be, rather than helping to build God's kingdom. But the Bible's clear. Jesus, when he told us how to pray, he said, pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. So if we're praying for his kingdom to come, we can't be praying for our own own kingdom to come. We're praying for God's kingdom to come in our life. And I think the danger is that a lot of times we don't mind having him him have the title of king in our life as long as he doesn't have the authority of king in our life because that's where it gets in our business. If he has the authority of the king in our life, that's a whole different story than if he just has this title that we can kind of throw around haphazardly. The beauty of our God's kingdom that that is different from any other kingdom in the world is that he does not take us by force and force us to be subjects of his kingdom. It is an act for us of actually choosing to serve his kingdom and not our own, to be part of his kingdom and not our own, which makes you ask the question, if we're honest, well, why would I make him king then? Why can't he just be my savior? Can he just... Save me from my sins, can I just get that ticket to heaven? And he just kind of leaves me alone for the rest of it and I'll let him know if I need him. Why, does it, why do I have to make him king? Well, I would tell you today that it's because it goes hand in hand. In fact, I would argue that he cannot be your savior if he is not your king. They go hand in hand. They are one in the same. You cannot be your savior if he is not your king. You cannot expect to get the benefits of the kingdom of God, and there are benefits to being part of the kingdom of God, you cannot expect to get those benefits if you are not submitted under his rule. There's no king in the world that would give you the benefits of their kingdom if you're living outside of that kingdom, or if you're not submitted in that kingdom to the laws of the land, to the leadership of the king himself. In fact, we're told to pray, as I said, that that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. So when we pray that, and if you prayed the Lord's Prayer, as it's often titled, then you have prayed, God let your kingdom come, let your will be done. When you're doing that, we're praying that God's kingdom would come to this earth, and we want that, right? We want his kingdom to come to earth. If his kingdom's gonna come to earth, where do you think it's gonna come through? You and me. We are the ones that carry the kingdom of God to this earth. Not not us as humans personally, like we're not strong enough to do that, but the Holy Spirit living in us uses us as vessels to bring the kingdom of God to this earth. So, the way the kingdom of God's coming to this earth is through you and me already as subjects in the kingdom submitted to the leadership of our God. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty simple when you look at it, but man, we can miss it so easily, right? He has to be our king if we're gonna bring the kingdom of God to this earth. But as I said, it doesn't come without benefits. There's some great benefits. You know, if he's your savior, if he's, let's say he's your savior, but you haven't really given him kingship, you haven't given him lordship over your life. If he's your savior, what, what, what the Bible promises us is that Jesus is your savior, that that is going to save you from your sins, right? That you're going to be able to, when you stand before him at the great judgment, that you're gonna, he's gonna not count your sins against you and you're gonna be able to be with him in eternity. And that's a beautiful thing. That's the number one priority, should be for all of us, right? So when, when he's your savior, you're gonna get to be with him up there. But when he's your king, he gets involved in the nitty gritty down here. He works with you down here because guess what church, the fact there is a kingdom of God, there's another kingdom that's incredibly active and pretty powerful on this earth as well in the spiritual realm. It's the kingdom of darkness. The Bible's very clear that there is another kingdom in this world. And we're gonna have to choose which one of those kingdoms we're gonna serve under. Which one we're going to be submitted to. And don't get arrogant and think, oh, I can deal with this kingdom of darkness, because you can't, because you're not strong enough, you're not wise enough, you're not smart enough, you're not cunning enough to be able to deal with the kingdom of darkness on your own. So the way we deal with the kingdom of darkness on this earth is to submit ourselves to the kingdom of God. That's how we win the battles in our life, because you know what? There may be two kingdoms, but Jesus has complete and total authority over all of them. Matthew 28, 18 says very clearly, it says, Jesus came to them and said, this is right before he ascended back into heaven, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. So when we submit ourselves under his authority, then we get that authority in our life to help defeat the kingdom of darkness over us in our life. There is a kingdom of darkness. And its goal is to destroy you subtly, to, to, to make you think you're not even in a battle against another kingdom, that you're just in a battle against, this, against life and against sickness and against other people, that, that people are the enemy. The Bible's clear that our battle's not against flesh and blood. We have no real enemies in this world that have flesh and blood. Our enemy is the enemy of our soul, the one that deceived Adam and Eve all the way back at the beginning, that Jesus promised he was gonna crush his head. So we have to choose which kingdom we're going to serve. But you know my title today was about waiting on God, so I wanna spend the rest of my time talking to you about waiting because you know, the whole Old Testament is about waiting for the king. They had to wait for this king all this time. And you know what? Even as followers of Jesus, we oftentimes feel like we have to wait on the king, right? You're probably waiting on something from God right now at this very moment. In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus, and you're actively serving him and living for him, I can guarantee you're waiting on God for something in your life right now. Because that's just how it works. And so they had to wait the whole Old Testament. We have to do some waiting too. And you know, life is really about waiting. (laughs) There's a lot of waiting that goes on. In fact, I did a little bit of research, and uh, I read that we spend six months of our life waiting at red lights. If you live in Columbia County, it's a little more than that, I think. We also spend six months waiting in line. We spend six weeks of our life on hold on the phone. I think I've already accomplished that. So we spend a lot of time waiting. Christmas, the Christmas season is all about waiting, right? It's all about anticipating that day, December 25th. But man, there's a lot of waiting that happens at Christmas, especially for the kids. God bless the kids. I remember when I was a kid, I knew in my head that each day in December still only had 24 hours. But I could have swore it had like 60, right? It just goes so slow and takes so long. It's just oh, a bunch of waiting. And then, you know, Christmas Day happens. And the next day, nobody wants anything to do with anything Christmas ever again, right? Until the next year. So even at Christmas, we experience a lot of waiting. And uh, we get to wait a lot on God, too. I mean, I don't think I'm the only one here that feels like God just never works on my timetable. You know, no matter how much I try to convince Him that. My timetable is, is accurate and right and necessary. He just doesn't abide by it. Right? No matter how much I pray, no matter how little I try to sin, no matter what I do, God does not work on our timetable because God's not, he's not uh, forced to wait or to do things the way we want him to do because God has his own timetable. And uh, in fact, just quickly, I want to just mention a couple things that we even see where God Made, makes us wait and made all of creation wait for that matter because as I mentioned, when, he, when the fall happened, it was thousands of years later before the Messiah actually came. In fact, and then when the Messiah finally did come, there was a prophecy from Isaiah at least 600 years earlier about the Messiah coming. In fact, I'll read the verse in, in Isaiah 7:14. It says, therefore, the Lord, gave himself, the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So this is a prophecy. It was 600 years before Jesus was actually born. How incredible is that? That God spoke this to him and they had to wait 600 years before Jesus actually came. And then you have the, what they call the intertestamental period, which was the time between the Old and the New Testament. Uh, some people call it the, the, the age of... the, the what was it, the season of silence, where God didn't speak. You got Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, from that moment until Matthew, when, when we start with the gospels, it was a 400 year stretch of silence, where God said nothing to any prophets, to nobody. Just think about that for a minute. I mean, the United States is 245 years old. Our whole existence as a country, we're just over halfway through that time of silence. It's incredible. God waited 400 years before the Messiah actually came. And you know, you look at that and you think, man, God, what was he doing? I mean, was there another planet somewhere where he was having to focus all his energy for a while? I mean, what was he doing? Taking a nap? But when you research a little bit, you see that he was actually working while we were waiting. He was doing things while we were waiting. Just a a few practical things that I found in my own research, and some of you might already know this, but... So there was a guy, during that 400 years, was a guy called, his name was Alexander the Great. Many of you have heard of him. You might know of his exploits. They called him Alexander the Great because he basically conquered the whole world. When you conquer the world, you get to have the name Great. Right? And when he conquered, every area he conquered, the requirement was for those people that they had to learn Greek culture and custom and the language. So for the first time since the Tower of Babel, frankly, most of the world spoke the same language. And it was during that time that the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Greek. Up until that time, the only people that could read the Old Testament, the the law, was Jewish people that knew Hebrew. And so now it's in Greek, which most of the world speaks, so everybody was able to read this book. And then when the Messiah came and the New, New Testament was written, it was written in Greek and it was widespread because most people spoke and read Greek. Not only that, at about 63 AD, so during that 400 year stretch, the Romans finally conquered everything, pushed the Greeks out, they took over, and they, they put their foot on everybody's neck, and we, there was peace for a while because nobody was gonna rise up against the Romans. Since there was peace, the Romans took time to build roads and highways. Because up until that time, they didn't have that. And so now you got roads and highways, which made it easier for people to get from one place to another, which also meant that when the gospel came and when, when it was time to spread the gospel, it was able to go out easier because they could use roads and highways to get the gospel out. So he waited these 400 years, but it wasn't that he was just sitting there twiddling his thumbs. There was things that were set in motion so that when the gospel came, the gospel would be set up to flourish in even a greater way. So that when the Messiah came, the world would be ready for it. And there's other things too that happened that were really incredible that led up to this time of the new covenant that we live in now, that people were having to wait, but it wasn't waiting for nothing. In fact, Galatians 4, verses 4 to 5, look what it says here. It says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. When the time had fully come, when the world was ready for it, when God was ready to bring it to where the gospel would have the best chance of success, that's when he sent his son to come and live and die for us. And even just with Jesus' time on earth, one of, the, one of the clearest examples of how he doesn't work in our timetable was when Lazarus got sick. And Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, sent people to Jesus to tell him, hey, Lazarus is sick and he needs you to come pray for him so, this, so we can be healed, because he's gonna die if you guys don't do something, right? And so let me read in John 11, 5, 6 what it says. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So even when the need is urgent, even when we feel like we have a need that's, that's urgent and God, you gotta do something right away or something bad's gonna happen, sometimes even in that, God will make us wait. And this story is not an anomaly. God does it all the time. I'm sure every one of us, if we had time, could testify to the fact that God has made you wait for something. The fact is, if you're going to serve and follow Jesus, you're always going to be waiting for something from God. But I want to tell you something today. And if you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. Waiting on God is never a waste of time. Never a waste of time. He does not waste our time. It may feel like it's a waste of time, but it is never a waste of time. If it is a waste, it's because we are wasting it. God doesn't waste our time. So nothing he does will ever be a waste because God is working in our situation even when we can't see it. He's working when we can't see it. And we have to trust and believe that. In fact, for Lazarus, Jesus said, I'm waiting. He waited because God was gonna get more glory because of the situation because of Jesus waiting. If you know the story, when Jesus got there, Lazarus was dead. He called Lazarus out of the tomb and he was alive. And it brought God glory because of what happened in that moment. And that's exactly what God wants to do for us. He wants to get glory through our situations. You know, we sang today that he is the king of glory. If he is the king of glory, kings aren't known for sharing their glory, and Jesus is no different. He's not sharing his glory with us. He wants to get the glory. So if if us waiting brings him more glory, then he is totally fine with it, and he wants us to be okay with it too. The fact is we can trust him in the middle of it. So I want to give you quickly here, three things that we can do while we wait, and it's kind of a progression. I think that while we wait, there's many things we can do, many ways we can respond, and that the way we respond is the difference between victory and defeat in our life. It is the difference between victory and defeat, how we respond to the time that we have to wait. The fact of the matter is, we're gonna have to wait anyway, we might as well wait well, amen? We might as well wait well in our life. So here's the progression, we start, when we're waiting, we start by remembering. We remember. We remember the faithfulness of God. We, we meditate on the goodness of God. Every one of us, I don't care how young you are, youth, you guys have testimonies too of where you know God showed up in your life, of where God has been faithful in your life. We all have stories. If you are a Christian in this room today or listening, you have stories in your life of knowing and remembering God's faithfulness in your life We have to choose to remember God's faithfulness. You know, we're in a a time, in a society, in a culture where remembering is not a, it's not pushed a whole lot because our culture is going in such a way that it's so fast-paced that it's all about the here and now. It's all about what's happening today, what's happening next, tomorrow, what's happening this afternoon, what's going on. We're always focused on what's right in front of us and maybe the future, but it doesn't give us a lot of time or brain space to focus on what's behind. And remembering is one of the greatest tools that God gives us in our faith. But it's also one of the most unutilized tools that he gives us. It is so important that we remember God's faithfulness and goodness in our life. Psalm seventy-seven, eleven says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. You notice what the psalmist is doing here. He is saying to himself, he's choosing to remember the deeds of God in his life. You see, here's the thing, church. We get to choose what we remember. We are not victims of our thought life. If you're a Christian here today, you are not a victim of your thought life. Now, I'm not minimizing maybe trauma that's happened in the past and thinking, oh, you just don't think about it. I'm, it's, I know it's not always that simple, but what I'm telling you today is that we have the ability With the Holy Spirit in us, we have the ability to choose where we will allow our thoughts to go. The Bible tells us that we can take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, that's a learned thing. That's not just something you decide you're going to do one day and it's just cream cheese from then on out. It's a learned thing. It's something you have to practice. It's something you have to purpose in your heart and you have to be intentional to say, I'm going to choose to remember, to meditate, to think about the goodness of my God. I'm going to remember the fact that Last time I felt this way was back here, and oh yeah, that's right, and I'm still here. I thought I was a dead man, yet here I am. I thought I was gonna lose my house, yet here I am still in my kitchen. I thought I was gonna lose my job, and I actually got a better job. I mean, you choose to remember the goodness and the faithfulness of your God. You can do it. We can all do it, and when we're waiting is when it's the most important. Whatever you're waiting on, you choose to remember how God was faithful in your life in the past because it helps you in today. It helps you in your heart today. It turns our heart back to God when we remember. I'm not perfect at this, but I can tell you I'm getting more and more in my life to where it's almost a natural response for me now when I start to get anxious, when I start to get worried, when I start to feel like I'm not enough, when I start to feel unqualified, when I start to feel like whatever it is, when I catch myself, I go immediately to thanking God for his faithfulness in my life. And I start to meditate about his faithfulness. Oh, you know what? I'm not, you're not good enough. You shouldn't be the pastor of this church. Oh, well, I remember when God spoke to me two years ago saying I was going to be. So is God a liar or not? And it shuts your own head up and it shuts the enemy up in your life when you start to focus on God's promises in your life and not focus on what you're worried about today because we all know 90% of the things we worry about never happen. But man, we'll give it a lot of brain space. It doesn't have to. We can remember the faithfulness of God. Philippians One of the best verses about, about remembering or meditating in life. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy. So whatever it is, think about such things. Choose to think about the things of God not the things that you're gonna worry about, not the things society is throwing your way, not the things that everything in life can be posed in front of you, but think about the, those things that are excellent and praiseworthy. And let me tell you, I'm, I'm, it doesn't happen overnight. If you've spent your whole life, if you've been a Christian for 40 years and you spent your whole life just worrying and hoping that things work out but not really remembering the faithfulness of God, this ain't gonna get fixed this afternoon. But you can purpose in your heart that you're gonna change how you respond to the things that happen that you're waiting for in your life today. And you can get a lot of traction in this. Psalm 105 tells us that God remembers his promises forever. If God has promised you something, hold on to it. For the love of God, don't ever let go of anything God has promised you. He's given us all a lot of great promises in his word, but for a lot of us, he's given us a rhema word. He's given us a promise that's just for us about something in our life. If he has promised you something, Don't let go. Hang on to it with a death grip. White knuckle that thing. Don't ever let anyone steal that from you. Because if it's from God, it's going to happen. That is 100%, that's the only thing guaranteed in life, is that a promise from God will come to fruition, without a question. So if we remember what that does, and we get in the habit of that, it leads us to worship. We worship while we wait. And I've talked about this not too long ago, but you know, we're all designed for worship. We're designed for worship. And whether you are a follower of Jesus or you are far from God or you don't have any care about it whatsoever, you are worshiping something because that's, way, that's the way we're created. We can't not worship because worship is just giving, it's elevating something in our life. It's giving it worth. It's putting it above the other things in life. So you're worshiping something. You might be worshiping your career, you might be worshiping your marriage, you might be worshiping the idea of getting married, you might be worshiping your money, you might be worshiping your investments, you might be worshiping sex, you might be worshiping comfort, you might be worshiping, the list goes on and on and on forever. Whatever you're giving the most importance in your life, that's what you're worshiping. You don't have to sing songs to it like we do on Sunday mornings. I, but you can. There's a lot of secular songs out there singing uh, glorifying money and sex and marriage and all these other things. That's worship. It's really what it is. But you're worshiping something in life. The key here is that we're designed to worship God. In fact, our God is a very jealous God. And he requires our worship of him. In fact, the 10 commandments tell us not to worship anything else except him. Because he is the one designed, he designed us to worship but he designed us to worship him because that's what we are called to do. Now, what does it have to do with waiting? Because when we worship while we wait, this turns our heart towards God. See, if we're remembering his faithfulness, that will spur us on into worship because when I start to think about how good God's been to me, when I start to think about how faithful he is, when I start to think about his mercy and his grace and his favor and his blessing in my life and everything that I can that I can count my blessings, when I start to think about that, I can't help but to worship. How can you not worship that God that is responsible for every blessing in your life? The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from him. The air that I breathe is from him. How can I not worship my God? But if you're not meditating on that, you can easily forget that and just think, you know, I have all the stuff I have because I work hard. And you can take the credit for it. Then you get the glory for it. And then when you're, what you're gonna do is while you're waiting, you're going to be anxious and you're going to be stressed and you're going to be worrying and you're going to be defeated and you're going to be discouraged and discontent because God will not share his glory. So we are called to worship him. And I know enough to know that there are Christians who will never make worshiping Jesus a priority in their life. I, I know that. And there's probably some of you in here that are just like, it's just, I just can't, I'm just not there, I can't do that. And, and, you know, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to act like I'm worshiping God when I'm really not. I cannot say this strongly enough. You are not a hypocrite if you worship in spite of how you feel. That's not hypocritical. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that when we bring a sacrifice of praise to our God, it actually says that God is pleased. He is pleased by our sacrifice of praise when we praise when we don't feel like it. When we worship him, when we exalt him in our life, and whether that's through singing or whether that's through the decisions you make or whether it's through how you're thinking when you're driving down the road, when we exalt him to the highest place, whether we feel it or not, he is pleased. When we say, God, I know you're my healer, but I'm sick and I don't feel like I'm healed, that's praise, and he's pleased with that. You say, God, I know you're my provider, but I'm drowning in debt, and I praise you anyway, he is pleased with that, even though you feel differently. And when we, when we determine to turn our hearts to worship and give him the worship that he is doing, we elevate him at the highest place and nothing else. And we enthrone him where he's, where he belongs at the seat of the throne of our life. Then we wait. Well, we wait. Well, we can wait for as long as it takes because we're waiting. Well, I can't emphasize it enough that church, we as believers have to learn what it looks like to worship God 24-7, 24-7. And I mean, we're gonna make mistakes, we're gonna, we're gonna mess up, we're gonna do things we shouldn't do, we're gonna have thoughts we shouldn't have, but we're, that we're always quick to turn our hearts back. That we're always quick to repent and turn away from those things and turn it to God and put him in his rightful place. And when we remember it'll lead us to that place of worship, of worshiping him and giving him the worship he's due. And when we do that, it'll lead us to the third thing that I want to tell you today, which is that we anticipate. When we remember, we worship, when we worship our God and our heart is at the right place, it'll cause us to be hopeful. We will anticipate God working and moving in our life. We are designed to be hopeful in this life. And God wants us to anticipate, to expect him to move in our life. Just like a kid waiting for Christmas, it feels like it's going to take forever to get to the 25th, but as a kid, you still know that day's eventually coming. It might take 10 years, but it's coming. And when we, and that anticipation is a beautiful thing, you know, because the 26th is kind of a, you get, people get the Christmas blues or the after Christmas blues, you know, because it's all over now. But when, it's, when we're anticipating God doing something in our life, when God meets us in our situation, there's no after, after encounter with God blues. <laughs> just made that up, I don't know if that's a thing or not. But there, there's no such thing, because we just anticipate, when we anticipate that God is going to work in our life, we can trust that he's never, ever gonna fail us. Now, here's the key though, we can't just anticipate that God's gonna do what we want him to do, okay? We might have a need, we might have a situation, but we can't just always expect, God, you're gonna do exactly what I need you to do because then if it doesn't happen the way you expected it to happen, then there's disappointment, right? Our, our anticipation needs to be peppered with this, this, this uh, hope, this thought, this prayer in our mind and in our heart that God, give me eyes to see what you're doing so that I don't just want my will to be accomplished because then we're just asking God to fulfill our will and to continue to build our kingdom, right? Because how many of you know sometimes when God meets you in that place, when you've been waiting, and God does something in that situation, that oftentimes it doesn't look like you thought it was gonna look. And if we're not ready for that, it can actually derail us. It can discourage us and disappoint us. You know, the Jews were waiting all this time for the Messiah, right? And they had this expectation that when the Messiah came, that he was going to be a king an earthly king that he was going to overthrow rome and he was going to establish israel again and he was going to be the king over israel right many of them thought that that's what he was going to do and so when jesus came and he started doing these miracles they started saying they started having arguments like well this guy's probably going to be the king right he's the messiah so he's going to be king in fact in in john where he feeds the five thousand miraculously it says that he had to withdraw away he had to get away from the crowd afterwards Because he knew that the crowd was going to take him and forcibly make him king. But that's not what he was there to do. He wasn't there to overthrow Rome, right? He came to bring the kingdom of God, which is not an earthly kingdom. But because their anticipation was something that it wasn't, they were disappointed. It eventually got to where he lost favor with most of the public, and you know what happened to him. So we cannot just expect, anticipate God doing what we want to do. We are submitted to what he's going to do in those situations in our life. I love the verse in Hebrews 6. And I'm going to finish with this, Hebrews 6:19. It says, "We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure." That's why we can be hopeful. We have hope because we have this anchor that is firm and secure. In our life, there's three very powerful words in this small verse anchor, firm, and secure. You know, you, you really only need an anchor if you're in turbulent waters. When, and we live in turbulent waters, it, it's a place called Earth. That's where we live, right? And you need an anchor when you're in turbulent waters. And the beauty of this anchor, this hope that we have, is that you know the anchor is doing its job. The anchor is embedded down in the ground, and it's not being pulled out. So our job is to make sure that the anchor stays connected to the vessel. Ooh, that's good preaching. we got to make sure that we're staying connected to the anchor because that's where we get our hope. That's, that's how we can anticipate that God is going to do things because we are connected to him. And here's something else that I think about with anchors. When you have an anchor, the more you trust your anchor, the deeper you're willing to go. Because you can trust that that anchor's gonna hold you even out in the deep. That's God's heart for us. That we would trust him, that we would get out of the shallow waters of our faith, but that we would go to deep places with him. And I could tell you that waiting on your king will take you, give you the opportunity to go to those deep places. But it's still up to us whether or not we're gonna choose to go to those deep places. Because there's no, there's no uh, you're not forced to go out in the deep because you have an anchor. You're welcome to stay in the shallow if you want. But the deep places with God, those are the best places too. And that's where he wants all of us to go with him, amen? Would you stand with me please? And I wanna, I wanna pray for us this morning, this afternoon. Our God is so good, so faithful. And I want to pray for us today and if you're if you're here today and you would say you don't know Jesus in the way that we're talking about him today, that he's not your savior and he's not your king, then I would ask you today, don't leave this place without making that decision. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And we are part of one kingdom or the other. And if we're part of the kingdom of God, we know that we're going to be with him when the life on this earth ends for us. But if we're part of that kingdom of darkness, we're going to be separated from him for all eternity. But to get into that kingdom of God, it starts with making a decision to surrender your life to Jesus, to trust him to save you from your sins, of knowing that you are not good enough on your own to be part of his kingdom. The only way to be part of his kingdom is to say, I'm not good enough, and to throw yourself at the mercy of your Savior and your Lord. So I would encourage you to do that today. And if you don't know how that looks, I'll be up front here after service. You're welcome to come talk to me. I'd love to walk you through that. But for the rest of us, I want to ask you today, is he your king? Is he your king? Are you waiting on him? If you're waiting on him, don't let that drive you away from him. Let that draw you closer to him. Whatever that area is that you're waiting on him, if it's the salvation of a loved one, if it's a financial thing, if it's a relational thing, if it's an emotional thing, if it's a physical thing, whatever you're waiting on God for, Don't let it push you away. The the design that God has for us waiting is to, he's working while you wait. And he's wanting to use this time that we can actually draw closer to him and our trust in him would not wane, but it would actually grow. That's his heart for each of us. So as we pray today, I just encourage you to open your heart to respond to this word. And if you wanna come to the altar, you are more than welcome to come up here and spend time with the Lord at the altar. We encourage it i want to pray for all of us. So let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we love you today. Lord, we do thank you again for your word. Your word is what gives us life. We thank you that you are our king. And Lord, where we have taken you off the throne in our life, in certain areas of our life, Lord, we come today, collectively we repent. We turn away from that, Lord. It's so easy for us to do it, to, to turn away from, or to, to take you off the throne. But God, today, we, we put you back where you belong. We enthrone you today, God. Be enthroned in our lives. We want your kingdom to come in our life for your will to be done in our life, not our own. We lay our kingdoms down. We lay our wills down. We throw ourselves at your mercy. We thank you today, Lord, that you are worthy of being our king. Lord, would you help all of us today as we are waiting on you whatever we're waiting on, Lord, that you would help us to remember, to worship, and to anticipate. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we have so many things to be thankful for, so many things. Help us to be intentional, God. Holy Spirit, come, do your work in our hearts. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. Move in a powerful way in each one of our lives, Lord that this wouldn't be just something where we're getting together on a Sunday morning, but this would impact our lives as we leave here today and tomorrow and this whole week, that it would produce fruit in our lives, God. We give ourselves to you. We trust you, Lord, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we give God a hand clap praise today? Thank you, Lord. God is good. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.